This is Conversations with Corliss, the podcast that features real and inspiring people who are leading their lives with purpose, passion, and confidence. Through their stories, advice, and expertise, you will be empowered with tools and insights to become the leader you are meant to be. Your host, Corliss, is a Dare to Lead trained, certified success principles coach, best-selling author, and inspirational speaker. As an entrepreneur for more than two decades, she has coached, trained, and mentored thousands to tap into their personal power and realize their potential. Through her company, Corliss Co., she will help you dream again and break through what holds you back from leading the life you want to have. Connect with her today at corliss.ca. Hi, everyone. This is Conversations with Corliss, a real leadership podcast. Here we will talk about all the things it takes to bravely lead the life you deserve. Welcome to the conversation. You may have guessed it. My name is Corliss, and I created this podcast simply because I want to help people and make a bigger impact. You see, one day I woke up in my 40s and realized time stands still for no one. With my kids more independent and my career not as fulfilling as it once was, I found myself wondering if this was it and what was next for me. I went looking for answers to recreate my life, and I found them in having meaningful conversations with inspiring people. That's what we'll do here for you. Whatever you're looking for, I'm glad you're here. Aging has given me the invaluable insight that we should make every moment count. It's time to take charge of your life, to rise up and be all you can be. This podcast is meant to help you do that. So let's get started. This is episode 070, how to get from where you are to where you want to be with the one and only Jack Canfield. In a way, I can't believe I got to do this interview, but in other ways, I'm not surprised at all because I've studied the success principles and I've been living them for several years. And as promised by the author himself, when you work the principles, the principles will work for you. As a beloved originator of the Chicken Soup for the Soul series, Jack Canfield fostered the emergence of the inspirational series. As a driving force behind the development of over 100 million books sold through the Chicken Soup franchise, Jack Canfield is uniquely qualified to talk about success. His proven formula for success reached global acclaim with his most recent national bestseller and 10th anniversary of the Success Principles, How to Get from Where You Are to Where You Want to Be. This new standard in self-improvement has powerful principles for success used by top achievers globally. If you have ever struggled with low self-esteem or confidence, you will learn why and how to improve it throughout this episode. You will learn why personal development is key to anyone who wants success in life and get the story behind the birth of the Chicken Soup for the Soul series. Jack also shares why he believes it's never too late to make a change or pursue your goals. We discuss the law of attraction, creating purpose in your life, and how to tap into your personal intuition, and so much more. There is more value in this next 55 minutes than I can summarize in an introduction, so I recommend that you listen carefully and come back and listen again and even take notes. I would not be where I am today without having had the opportunity to learn from this man, and it is my sincere honor to bring him to all of you through this conversation. When you enjoy it, Share it on social with your friends. Let's give everyone an opportunity to grow their self-esteem, increase in confidence, and get wherever they want to go in life. (music) 
So welcome everyone. I'm so grateful to have Jack Canfield here is sitting in the room with us. We've got a very exciting conversation ahead of us. And I personally am just so honored to have to be able to share this space with Jack. He has been a mentor of mine for many, many years, whether he knew it or not. I have studied much of his work. I was um I made a decision to go to his mastermind and work with him directly in his home a few years back. And uh, as I was leaving, we actually ended up in um California forest fire and I barely barely got out <laughs> before that happened and uh, but I did I flew back to Canada and I also took the train the trainer program became a certi certified success principles coach so clearly I'm a fan of Jack's work and I'm so thrilled that you're here today thank you for joining us my pleasure it's exciting it is exciting. Now, uh, I wanted to talk with you a little bit about self-esteem because when I was contemplating what it was that you helped me with the most, I think that self-esteem was actually where it all began for me. I, I thought it was purpose, but I think there was a direct connection between growing myself and self-esteem to actually finding a purpose and connecting with a purpose. So could you, you know, help us out with what self-esteem is, why it's so important and, you know, maybe why we lose it or why we don't have it. Well, basically self-esteem is a combination of feeling uh, lovable, capable, which means you're, can, you believe you can handle whatever life gives you and uh, significant that you matter to somebody or some group. And so a lot of people don't have that because they grew up in a, in a family where they were, um, you know, could have been physically abused, emotionally abused, ignored. Uh, maybe they were adopted and it felt like they didn't matter to the original birth parents. Um, so and then there's a lot of people that feel like they don't have the skills that they need to be successful. Maybe they failed in school and they didn't get good grades or they dropped the ball that would have won the city championship football game and they mm. don't feel bad about that or whatever. And then a significant part means, you know, you're you matter to people. And so a lot of us grow up and we, we know from the statistics that by the fifth grade, uh, two out of three kids feel like their self-esteem is low. I mean, we know their self-esteem is low. I often say at live events, look to your right, look to your left. One of you is okay. Two of you are in trouble mm -hmm. because the statistics show that there's that reality. And we find that specifically among women, uh, it's lower than it is among men because of the roles that women have been given for years to, you know, serve and make their needs not as important as their parents, their kids, their husband, et cetera. Um, and so that's a big issue. And today we're seeing just tremendous reality of the impact of social media where everyone's mm -hmm. comparing themselves to these perfected bodies that have been photoshopped to, you know, the people that work out in the gym for six hours a day. And so they have body dysmorphia and all kinds of things that show up. And so our, our job and it's really our responsibility is to regain our self-esteem. We can blame and complain about what we did or didn't get, but if you don't have high self-esteem, you're not going to take risks. We talk about the poker chip theory of self-esteem and success the idea, if you and I were to go to a casino and you have 100 poker chips and I have 10, I'm going to play more cautiously than you because if I lose five chips twice, I'm out of the game. You lose five chips twice, you've still got 90 chips to go. So you're going to bet more heavily. You'll invest in the stock market more likely. You'll say that you'll speak up in meetings. So if you make a mistake, it's not like it's the end of the world. You still have a lot of esteem chips, if we call it, you know, left. So we want to build that that up among ourselves and, and the people we manage. I often say that one of the jobs of managers is to build and maintain self-esteem of their staff by what complimenting them, acknowledging their successes, 
asking for their participation um, to make sure they feel heard that they're they're um, participating. Uh, we often start by going around in our group every time we have a meeting in our company. Everyone shares a success they've had in the last week, something they've done. It could be minor. You know, they finally finished that report. They signed up two new people for a seminar. But when you're constantly doing that, uh, it starts to build that self-esteem. Teach something called the mirror exercise. Every night before you go to bed, you look in the mirror. You say to yourself, you'd say like, you know, Corliss, I want to acknowledge you for the following things. You accomplished this, that, and that. You kept these dis disciplines. You avoided those distractions. You didn't stay up till midnight playing words with friends, you know, on the, your cell phone, whatever. And then you end by saying, I love you. And there's a new thing we've been teaching people. I learned from, um, I think it was Gabrielle Bernstein, but you high five yourself every time you go past a mirror. It's a weird experience. But after you do that for a couple of weeks, it's like, oh yeah, hi. You know? And uh, so there's a lot of little things you can do to build that up. Uh, but those are some of the things that are uh, we talk about. Mm, I like those. Very helpful. So really it's our past, you know, that is that perhaps has us in a place of feeling low self-esteem. However, we're responsible for turning that around. Yeah, and you're also responsible for the beliefs you have. A lot of us believe we're not worthy, we're not okay. It could have been that something happened to you, like you didn't get called on in class, or you're, you come in second into this, or your mom, you think, loves your brother more than you based on some event. But you're the one that made that decision. You know, like, mm -hmm. we all have failures, we all make mistakes. But if we go, oh, I'll never find, you know, like, like, your mother says you'll never marry because you chew with your mouth open and you have your elbows on the table when you eat or something. And so if you believe that, you're responsible for choosing to believe that and believing it well into your 30s and 40s. It's you that made that decision. It's you that agreed with the uh, assessment. So we have we can always change that. And the thing I realized you know, about 10 years ago, beliefs are a choice. You can choose to believe anything you want. We all believed in Santa Claus for about eight years, you know. And so the reality is we can choose to believe that we're worthy. We can choose to believe that we're capable, that the world's working for us, not against us. So uh, you can study the beliefs of successful people. You know, they believe they're going to achieve. They have positive expectation. They believe in their ability to solve problems, et cetera. And we can study what they do, how they think, what they read, and we can begin to imitate that. And so like uh, Tony Robbins has a great quote. He says, success leaves clues. And so there's clues everywhere. There are the books we write, the TED Talks people give, the, the YouTube videos people put out there. So there's lots of information on how to build our self-concept, our self-esteem, our self-confidence. Mm. I, I remember this. You won't remember it, but it was very significant for me. We were sitting in your home and we were having a discussion amongst the mastermind about, you know, if we don't know something. And you had said that all the resources are available to us. All we have to do is, is tap in, be responsible and, and look for them, right? Everything right. in the whole world is available to us. And that was a real light bulb moment for me because number one, if I take responsibility for it, I understand that I get to choose my beliefs and then I seek resources that will help, you know, turn it around or help me learn. Well, then I should be able to evolve and, and become who I want to be and end up where I want to go, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. There's so much information available. The other thing that we'll talk about since we're talking about self-esteem is self-confidence. And the thing that most people don't realize about self-confidence, most people say, well, when I feel confident, I'll take that action. And the truth is when we take an action and survive the risk, then we feel more confident. So mm. you, know, you don't just sit there and go, well, when I'm confident, I'll walk on this two by four. Or we used to walk on you know rails on fences and stuff, you know, no, you go out there and you, 
fall off, but you get back on and pretty soon you can do it. And now your self-confidence is higher. So the first time you give a speech, the first time you ask for a raise, the first time you make a sales presentation, you know, those are things that are scary. They're just inherently scary. And then what happens is if you survive it, which we all do, I tell everyone in my workshops, you've survived everything that's ever happened to you. Think about that. You wouldn't be here if you hadn't. So we've survived a lot more than we failed, but we forget sometimes. And we think the next thing we're going to not make it. But the fact is uh, where we are, we are survivors and we can do that. And the other thing we're learning is that we can go inside and imagine doing something and imagine the outcome we want, getting the standing ovation, the client saying yes, your boss saying great job, whatever. And our body cannot tell the difference between a real event and a vividly imagined event. So we can rehearse shooting basketball shots, giving a talk, asking for a raise, whatever you want to do, and then imagine the positive outcome. And that literally logs into our, our brain as neuro, new neural pathways that are starting that are just the same as if we'd actually gone out there and done it. I can't even express to you how much this means to me because you taught me this. And originally I didn't really understand it. It's like, if it's not actually in my physical world, how can it, how can it possibly happen? And I'll tell you a true story. It's actually on my vision board right behind me. However, what happened was in 2017, I was recreating my life and I was deciding that I wanted to be, I actually put the words highly educated in the center of my vision board. And I put a picture of you, Oprah Winfrey and Tony Robbins, literally the three of you right beside. Now, I honestly, at that time, when I put it on there, I thought it would just be, I'd read your books. I'd watch videos. I don't know. I, I certainly didn't think it would turn out how it did. So that was in March of 2017, but I got really connected to that. I wanted to learn from the three of you. And then a two for one came through to go to unleash the power within the following November. So only six months later, I bought the two for one. I was at Tony Robbins when a call came in or an email came in inviting me to apply for the mastermind to come and see you. I applied for the mastermind while I was at Tony Robbins. And two weeks later, I found myself on the Santa Barbara freeway in a car <laughs> driving to your home. It happened so fast. And I just remember thinking, this is crazy. Like I envisioned it. I put it there. I made some decisions by doing that. And here we are. It was, it was so incredible. And I was, I was just in awe to even walk up to your home and see you standing there still to this day. And now I'm sitting in the same room with you. This is so amazing. So please take to heart what Jack is teaching. I'm a living example that it's true and it works. Can you explain the neuroscience behind it though? Like that's a true story, but I'm no scientist, so I don't really know. How does how does that work? Like you put it in your mind, you visualize it, and and it's just going to happen, or 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 what? Well, you know, the action is required. I mean, you did respond to those invitations. You had an opportunity, yes. and you took them. So there's two things that go on. One is internal, and that is it accesses your subconscious mind to come up with creative ideas. So all of a sudden, you get an idea. Oh, I could call this person. I could read that book. I could go to that seminar. I could do it. So these are things that you, your subconscious mind is working on, coming up with creative ideas. The second thing is the law of attraction is working such that every thought you think we know goes out to the universe. And, and travels a minimum of 250,000 miles. How do we know that? We've had astronauts you know, on the moon or orbiting the moon in a lunar orbital. And what happens is they've had these guys in, up in the modules and they have these envelopes and the envelopes have uh, shapes in them, squares, circles, triangles, pentagrams, whatever. 
Now they're labeled one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. They don't know what's in them. They shuffle them, pick an envelope, let's say number six. They open it up, there's a square. They look at it for five minutes. Students down at Duke University in the psychology department at the same time close their eyes and just become receptive to what they think the astronauts are looking at. And they get it right way more than statistical chance than if, than if they got it wrong. So we know that you know the, the distance to the moon, about a quarter of a million miles, our thoughts are traveling. We know from other research, uh, you know, why is it that a psychic in China could be on the phone with you and start reading your mind? Because those thoughts are going out like a radio wave. For example, I can take my cell phone right here and I can call someone in Singapore. Now, there's no wires, but that message is going from my phone to a satellite, from a satellite to their phone. Mm-hmm. It's got a carrier wave, which says it's my phone, and it has information, which is the thoughts I'm thinking or what I'm saying, or voice or whatever. So the reality of all that is your brain does the same thing. And th- therefore, you're now then communicating with people that you're attracting into your life like all of a sudden you're sitting on the plane next to someone who wants to do the same kind of project you're doing, or someone calls you up out of the blue. We always say out of the blue. Is it really? My, my wife calls it synchro mystical, synchronistic, synchro mystical. But the point being, that's how it works. And so the more we do it, the, 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 the thicker that, I should say, it's like a 50,000 watt radio station as opposed to a 10,000 watt radio station. The signal gets stronger the more you do it. And also the same thing's happening in your brain. You're creating new neural pathways. And those are connections that are wired together. And every time you think a thought, that's why affirmations, visualization, talking about your goals, those, they get thicker. And if you've ever been bowling and you throw the ball into the bowling alley and it goes in the gutter, it never jumps out of the gutter. <laughs> it always stays there. So we're creating gutters in our brain that we want to have there, as opposed to the gutters that have been there to say, I'm not enough. I'll never be successful. I can't sing. I can't dance. I'm not management material. I'll never be a millionaire, which are thoughts that people think a lot. So we have to replace those. Research in neuroscience says it takes about 12 weeks of thinking a new thought over and over and over. That's why repetition is important to get from the old beliefs to the new beliefs. Mm, Brilliant. Brilliant. And I, I am a living testament that that is, that is true. And I, I know, I know that it's happened to many people. It's just when you're initially at that beginning and it's never happened to you before, a lot of times we concentrate our thoughts on what isn't. And because of that, we keep creating it. Right. So you've talked about the law of attraction here. You just brought that up and you were of course featured in the secret and the secret very much teaches about the law of attraction. First of all, will you tell us the experience of being a part of, you know, such a worldwide movement, because that was, I mean, that is still something that people talk about in reference. Right. And you were in the secret. What was your experience there? And was it talking about law of attraction? Yeah, what happened was I I almost missed it. One of my friends who was working with Rhonda Byrne, the producer and director of it, called me up and said, Rhonda wants to come to this conference you're putting on where there's going to be 19 people that she wants to interview for the movie. And I said, no, it'll disrupt the conference. Everyone will be like competing to get time. And it'll pull. Then that night I was meditating, which I do before I go to bed. And all of a sudden I got this voice that said, call her back and say yes. I did. So I ended up in the movie. I probably made an additional $3 million in my life by speaking at secret conferences. And I went, I spoke in Iran of all the places you have to go through the Pakistani embassy to even get a visa to go to Iran. We had 800 people show up because they had showed the secret on Iranian national television, which I would never have guessed in a million years that would have happened. But the point was they came to this conference we were doing in Colorado 
filmed everyone against the green screen. Uh, it was a lot of fun. And then they went back and edited it and put all the historical documentation. It was really very cool. And so we, you know, and I've been in a lot of videos that none of them were that great. And then they showed a, a rough cut at our next conference. It was like, oh my God, this is amazing. So what was cool, 19 people, we all sent out to our mailing list, this now available, you should watch it. So 12 million people on the same day got from maybe five or six of their favorite teachers, the same thing, go watch this movie. So it literally exploded. Uh, it was the number one DVD sold in China for three years. Uh, it was on a lot of state televisions. And we got invited to these conferences where they'd have like five or six of us speaking about the law of attraction. And the law of attraction is, is just simply states that what you think about, talk about, dream about, and feel strongly about, you're going to bring about. So one of the things that's new to me, information in the last couple of years that came out of the HeartMath Institute, where they study the heart, not the physical heart, but the, the heart in, in terms of an energetic body. And what happened, they're all PhD scientists and everything. And they did an experiment with DNA. And they have, DNA is like a helix, if you've ever seen a picture of it. And what they do at the end, there's this thing called a telomere. It's like the end of a shoelace. So it basically keeps it from unraveling. <coughs> What they did was they asked a group of people to visualize the DNA unwinding. Nothing happened. Then they asked the same group to send love and joy and peace and all that to the, D to the DNA. Nothing happened. Then they said, now we want you to visualize the DNA unwinding while you're experiencing sending love and joy to it. And the DNA unwound. So what we wow. found, what's required and what's missing for a lot of people when they're visualizing is the feeling of peace, love, joy, and appreciation. When you start, and if you look at all the esoteric teachings out there about success, they all start by saying you have to start with appreciation for what you already have. And that appreciation creates a vibration that then allows this intention to actually be stronger for whatever reason. I mean, I don't know why it works that way, but it does. It's some kind of it just does. spiritual principle. But they now have the scientific research about what has to happen if you want it to work. That's amazing. And I think, I think before you experience it, at least this was in my case anyway, it was like, I was trying to grasp it. I remember watching the secret, trying to understand the law of attraction. And it was like, you mean, I'm just going to you know, think it and feel it in advance, but how do I feel it when it's not real, <laughs> you know? So it was almost like trying to reverse my imagination to where I, I could get myself to a place of not having to have something tangible in front of me to actually feel it and experience it. I could do it in my mind. Yeah. And, and I always tell people, if you have trouble with that, you know, let's say you want a Mercedes Benz, go down to the Mercedes Benz dealer, test drive the car, notice mm -hmm. how it feels. Now, when you're visualizing owning that car, you have a reference point for how it feels. If you want to mm -hmm. you know, stay in Ritz Carlton's or when you travel, go to the Ritz Carlton. And the next time you go to another town, sit in the bar, have a drink, or even what I think is more fun, tell them you're going to have a wedding there and you'd like to see the bridal suite. So they actually take <laughs> you around and show you everything. So now, you know, what, what happens is you know what it feels like to be at the risk Carlton. So you can basically reference that. Or finally, reference any time you felt happy, you know, like maybe mm. your first date, you know, or the, the, your birthday party last year. And then you bring that feeling and apply it to this trip you want to take to Paris. Mm. 
I like it. So we're talking about tangible things here. We're, you know, we're talking about being able to like the tangible things. And I I did want to ask you because it was a long journey for me to get to a place where investing in myself, like spending money on my own personal growth and development is an, is a number one priority. Like, and it was because the money could always go somewhere else. I was, I was thinking about it as if I was spending money instead of investing money, because and and to come out of it with not knowing what you were going to get there was no tangible outcome to going to a seminar with you to going to you know um an event of any kind it doesn't matter like that was specifically for me so i think a lot of people you know feel that way when they originally get started on this personal growth and development journey what would you what would you say to them how would you help them with that well everything we do we do because we think it's going to make us feel better in other words no one gets gets up and says I'm going to do that. So I'll feel worse. You know, it's like whatever. <laughs> if I own a pool table, I'll be happier. If I own this car, I'll be happier. If I do that, mm. if I get this job, if I find more clients, I'll have more income and then I'll feel more peace and relaxed. So we're always doing something to feel better and, or to avoid pain. You know, we go away from pain. We go toward pleasure. And so what happens is what we want to do is realize that all this personal development is going to end up making you feel better. And sometimes you can feel better without buying a new car. You know, like I remember when I first started doing personal development work, I was in a seminar and they said, think of something you want. I said, OK, I want a, I want a luxury car. And what would that give you? Well, then I would uh, feel better when I drive into my neighborhood where everyone owns luxury cars. I just moved to Santa Monica and it was a high rent neighborhood. And what would that give you? Well, I'd feel like I belong. What, what would that give you? Peace. Mm. What would that give you? Well, that's the bottom line, peace. So I wanted to belong, but I realized I didn't need to spend $70,000 to belong. You know, belonging mm. was an attitude. So sometimes you can avoid the thing and go straight to the feeling. But it's nothing wrong with having a luxury car. I own a Lexus and my wife owns a Porsche and we live in a nice house and so on and so forth. So I like all that. But what I really want is to feel comfortable. I want to feel good. I want to feel happy. I want to feel at peace. I want to feel joy. Those things are all choices. You can learn to do that no matter what's going on. Mm, love that. Thank you for sharing that. And what about talking about around the area of wealth? So we're talking about uh, personal development and, mm-hmm. you know, being okay with and self-esteem. And a lot of the times those and belonging, we've all those words have come up. Sure. So can we just, you know, touch on you know, the idea that it was wealth, because you don't come from wealth, do you? You don't, it's not no. like you come from a really wealthy background, but no. now you have wealth. So did you have to evolve in your, in your thinking? What would you say to the person who's just like, but the money, <laughs> but the money, Absolutely. I don't have the money. Yeah, yeah, no, no, it's it's cool. No, I grew up in a very poor family. I grew up in West Virginia, which, you know, was one of the poorer states in the union back then, still is. And um, so my dad made eight with three zeros after it, $1,000 a year, $8,000 a year. And, uh, you know, I, whatever, I went to school on scholarship. I worked my way through, you know, I ended up with $10,000 in student debt back then in the sixties. Now it'd be a lot more. Um, but you know, I, I, I know what it's like. I've lived in a $79 a month apartment where the Murphy bed came out of the wall, you know, and then the two burner stove and, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But the reality is wealth is an attitude and abundance and prosperity is an attitude. You got to start with that. It's a consciousness. We talk about prosperity, consciousness, wealth, abundance, consciousness. And so W. Clement Stone, who was what, who introduced me to this when I was making myself about $8,000 a year as a school teacher in Chicago, uh, part-time. And I took a seminar with him 
And he said, I want you to set a goal that's so huge that if you achieve it, you'll know it's only because of what I've taught you. And he had taught me, set a goal, have a purpose, believe it's possible, act as if it's already happening, have an affirmation. I, my affirmation was I'm, uh, I'm so happy and grateful that I'm earning $100,000 a year, earning, investing, and spending $100,000 a year under the grace of God for the highest good of all concerned. That was my affirmation. And then visualize it. So every day I would close my eyes and visualize living this $100,000 a year lifestyle. And um, and then about 30 days into it, I started having $100,000 ideas. Like all of a sudden I'm in a shower and I go, oh my God, I've got this book that I wrote for teachers. And I get I get a quarter every time it sells, like 25 cents, that was my royalty. And if I sell 400,000 copies, I'll make $100,000. That was the first time I ever had a $100,000 idea. And then it turned into like, well, how could I sell that many? And we started an online bookstore with just my book as the thing. And eventually, at the end of that year, I made $92,000, whereas before I made eight. So I had like 12 times my income, basically. And um, so the reality was I just did the exercises, started acting as if. And that's the hard part. You don't go out and spend money you don't have. But he taught me mm -hmm. to carry a $100 bill in my pocket at all times. So every time I go in to spend it, spend something, I'd see my $100 bill. So I could never say I'm broke because I had that money. Act as if, you know, be be generous, be kind, be be confident that life's working out. And um, so I did all that. And then I, my wife at the time, then she said, do you think it'll work for a million dollars? And I said, only one way to find out. So we had a million dollar affirmation. We put a million dollar bill on the ceiling. So every day we wake up, we had this vision. We threw this big million dollar bill on the ceiling and um We'd start to visualize a million dollar lifestyle and it took three years, but in three years later, I got a check for $1,138,000 for my book royalty for chicken soup for the soul. So, um, and then I went through what I call my nouveau riche stage, about seven sweaters and you know, <laughs> a bunch of expensive wine and nice furniture and some more, yeah. all that, you know, um, which was fun. And, and now I live a more moderate lifestyle, but the point being that it's, 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 if you do the, I always say the principles always work. If you always work the principles, mm. you know, in the book, the success principles, which I wrote has all the success principles in there. There's 67 of them, I think. And um, if you use them, they work. So you have to mm -hmm. trust. The big mm -hmm. thing is, are you willing to trust somebody? And I, I saw this quote the other day. It says, if you want to, if you want to own a Lamborghini, don't ask for advice from a Honda owner, you know, <laughs> So study the people like you mentioned, Oprah Winfrey, Jack Canfield, Tony Robbins, you know, those kind of people. Yes, yes. This year, my mantra for the year, it actually was last year as well. And then when I went into 2023, I was like, you know what, this is literally where I want to lead from. So it's lead with love and trust all the will be well. And I have just put myself into a place of I'm just leading from a place of love within myself and everything that I do. And I'm just trusting the process. And the act as if part is actually probably the the success principle that helped me the most because that one helped me break through the barriers that I had in my own mindset. It was just act as if it was show up as if you're already there. And all of a sudden I was there and I was like, Oh my gosh, it's, it's actually happening right now. Now it is actually a tangible thing. So mm -hmm. that principle really helped me. Now you're talking about, uh, you know, making your millions and thank you for sharing that part of your story. What would you say to the person who is like, it's too late, it's too late to pursue new goals, to make a change, to go after my passions? Because I mean, I think I remember a story about you being 51 years old when you first made your first million. Yeah, I think Chicken Soup for the Soul came out and I was 49 
And it was three years later when the the, the, the big money started happening and made $3 million in one year. And uh, no, he made $6 million in one year, actually. And then $3 million the next. So all of a sudden, it was huge. But yeah, I was, I was 49 and then 51, 52. That makes total sense. And, you know, I always tell the story of people. I mean, there's all kinds of people I've met that didn't really take off. One guy I know retired at 50 from his normal job. And three years later, he made over $2 million from a hobby that he was doing his life, but he turned it into a business. And um, sometimes you make the right investment. Sometimes you partner up with somebody. Sometimes you invent something. Sometimes you do whatever, but it's, it's never too late. Um, I tell this story uh, a lot in my seminars about a woman named Helen Klein, who was, uh, I met her when she was 83. We were both getting a, um, significant Californian award, something like that. You know, you're an amazing Californian. And <laughs> she, she, mine was chicken soup. Hers was running. She actually had never run before. And at 55, she started to run. In other words, she, she, her husband came and said, let's run a 10K. So they ran around their backyard to start training. It was a big yard. And she fell on the ground wheezing. She'd been a smoker for 25 years. She was overweight. So she said, this is disgusting. And so every day she was going to do another lap around the backyard. And eventually she went out and did, you know, ran an extra block every time before she turned around to come home. But starting at 55, she's completed more than 100 marathons and 142 ultra marathons. At 59, she was the oldest woman to compete the Ironman triathlon. At 66, she ran 100-mile mountain trail races in a 16-week period. She ran five of those. In 1995, she went across the Sahara Desert, 145 miles, in a 375-mile echo challenge. And one day, she did a six-day run. She covered 373 miles at 75 years old. And she's the world record holder in the 80 to 85-year-old class, completing a marathon in four hours and 31 minutes. Didn't start till she was 55. So it's never too late to start anything. Start a business. Um, mm-hmm. You know, start painting. Start. Um, I read about a guy the other day. He just he bought a guitar. He's 56. He started playing it. He wrote 21 songs the first year. Sold a couple of them to some Nashville people. Made over a million dollars in royalties. Didn't start playing the guitar till he was 50 something. So it's it's never too late. Never too late. You got to believe in yourself, you know, but yeah, yeah. You got to do it. You got to do it. Like you said. And I think sometimes that people just get caught up in the doom and gloom of this is it. You know, I didn't, I didn't, my life didn't end up where I wanted it to be. And because those thoughts are so centered on everything that didn't happen, they kind of keep themselves in that state as well. So it's like to make that shift, which is exactly what personal, personal growth and development and attending seminars and things like that will do for you. I have the most exciting announcement to make. Lead Conference Canada is launching in 2023 in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan on November 3rd and 4th. This is the first of its kind Canadian event where we will feature a powerful lineup of both professional and inspirational speakers to help you feel empowered to lead your life. No need to spend tons of time and money traveling abroad to an event of this caliber. We are bringing the world-class speakers to you. You're invited to join us for an incredible two days of connection, motivation, and inspiration. The reality is that all of us will go through periods in our lives where we feel burned out, stuck, or unsatisfied. This is why we need an event like Lead Conference Canada, because through connecting with others, learning through their stories, you can find your own spark again to feel empowered to move forward with confidence. 
This high-energy personal growth event will offer you the perfect mix of inspiration and practical how-tos. We have already launched a few of our powerhouse speakers, including Arlene Dickinson and Christina Kuzmich, but there is much more to come, so much more. Join the Lead Conference Canada email list to get in on all of the details and have a chance to get the best seats at the lowest price. Make sure and head to corliss.ca forward slash lead 2023 now. A couple of words that are really valuable are up until now and yet. So I didn't make my million dollars yet. Up until now, I've never been able to find the love of my life as opposed to I'll never find the love of my life. So it's amazing when I'll be working with a client either in a seminar or a private coaching session where they'll learn that phrase up until now or yet. And then with like three months later, they'll tell me I met my soulmate or I got a job or, you know, whatever it is. So uh, it, it, because you're affirming it, if you say, you know, my dreams have never come true, I'll never be able to do such and such or everything I eat goes straight to my hips. Anything you say like that, your subconscious mm -hmm. mind takes as a command. And then it basically wants to, it, to fulfill that because that's what you believe. And it wants to make you right. Your subconscious mind wants to make you right. So if you believe something, it's going to try to create reality to validate your beliefs. And so we have to change the belief that it's possible that I can do it. Uh, Muhammad Ali said, uh, impossible is a big word used by small people who would rather live in a world that other people have created than to take the chance to create the world they want to live in. And then he said, I changed impossible to I'm possible. I am possible. Yes. And look at you said, I'm the greatest. And what happened? He became the greatest. Mm. And if you, oh, that was so brilliant. And our beliefs, as you've already taught us or reminded us of, is that beliefs are choices. We get to choose those beliefs. So it's almost like intentionally placing that in there. And if you study success stories, which again, I learned from you, where it was like, if I, if I want to learn how to do that, success leaves clues. So I go and I, I research that and I, I intentionally have been planting those things in my mind so that I can actually learn and evolve and grow and create the success and, and acting as if has become so much easier. It really has. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. So, so today you sent out an email this morning and the email asked a question that I actually really, it was such a great question. I was like, oh, I'm going to see Jack today. I'm going to ask him that question. You had sent out and it said, I'm going to read it because it, it, you, I want to make sure I get it right. You said, you asked everyone to think about what kind of world we want to create. And that is, like I say, such a brilliant question. What would you say is your answer to that? What kind of world do you want to create? Well, I think you have to take that question in, in layers or concentric circles. Mm -hmm. What kind of world do I want to create in my company? What kind of world do I want to create in my family, in my local community, and then in the world as a whole? So I want a, a world where, excuse me, <clears throat> I want a world where everyone is honest, they have integrity, they care about each other, they ask for what they want, they don't try to hint around at things that are authentic and real without being cruel, um, you know, sensitive, compassionate, and um, that, that they are a world where they want the world to work for everybody. You know, too often our world is we want it to work for us and we don't care what happens to anyone else. And that's what happened, you know, when they had the big meltdown on Wall Street a number of years ago that bankrupted all kinds of people and foundations and whole cities that had invested in in certain things that the stock market just tanked because it was the greed. We see the greed factor over and over and over mm -hmm. and over. 
We see it with big agro. We see it with big pharma. We see it with a lot of issues that are out there where people are more interested in making money than they are in serving. You know, I believe if you devote your life to helping others, then the world will basically help you back. If you want to be wealthy, serve more people. Find a way to mm. be a greater service. Deepak Chopra, who's a friend of mine and someone I admire, his prayer every morning is, show me how I can be of greater service to more people. That's that's a great prayer. Mm. You know, so that's in a, in a world where people are conscious, where they understand. I mean, we, we were just talking last night, you know, at great length, four of us at dinner, about how many wounded people there are in the world from trauma, mm -hmm. from their childhood, from poverty, from, you know, abuse, from all these racism, sexism, all those things that happen. And I'd like to see a world where people are getting those needs addressed deeply by therapeutic kinds of interventions and personal development opportunities for everybody and education for everybody. So... I always say that I, my, my final definition of the world is everybody's living their highest vision in a context of love and joy. So if everyone could say, what is it I most want to do? And I'm doing that without hurting anyone else. And I'm happy doing it. Then the world would work. Mm, thank you for sharing that. And um, that's actually what I'm doing. I've just realized as you're speaking, because as we're talking, as you're talking about this, I realized that I actually asked myself that question, uh, you know, how could I be of more service and more value to other people? And it's actually where the vision for League Conference Canada happened was I was I was sitting there in a stadium, actually experiencing a personal growth and development seminar. And I caught myself saying, I wish more I wish this existed in Canada so that more people could experience this. And I said it out loud. I actually said it to the person who I traveled there with. And then a few moments later, I wrote in my journal, if it doesn't exist, I'm going to create it. <laughs> and here we are, you know, a few years later and, and it's happening. And I became the ask hole that you taught me to be. And I asked if you would come and join us and you are. So we're quite excited to have you here in Canada to help us serve more people to help because you've helped me in such a, a profound way. And um, I feel a little emotional even just saying that, but I won't cry because I'm just so deeply grateful that I learned so much from you and you've helped me evolve to who I am today. <laughs> it's humbling to think that I get to share you with the audience here. So thank you. You're welcome. I'm honored to be there and uh, participate in that with you. It'll be fun. It will be a lot of fun. So um, do you have any final thoughts that you'd like to share? I do have three closing questions that I always ask all of my guests, um, and I will do that. But if you have any final thoughts you'd like to share on either the topic of personal growth, self-esteem, growing in confidence, or any other part of your story that you'd like to share, that would be, this is a great time to do it. I'd say two things I would share. One is um, listening to your inner voices and your inner guidance, like the, the title for Chicken Soup for the Soul. Uh, we didn't have a title for that book. And so every day for a week, I meditated and asked the higher power for a title. And on day three, this big green chalkboard appeared and wrote the words Chick chicken soup on it. And I thought, chicken soup? What the hell does chicken soup have to do with this book? <laughs> and his voice, which I assume was God's voice, I don't know, but I, I, it's like what I assume. It said, uh, your mother, your grandmother gave you chicken soup when you were a child, when you were sick. 
And I said, but this is not a book about sick people. And the voice said, people's spirits are sick. They're living in resignation, mm-hmm. hopelessness, and fear. I thought, chicken soup for the spirit, no, chicken soup for the soul. I got goosebumps. Told my wife she got goosebumps. Called my co-author, he got goosebumps. Went to New York, met with 22 publishers. Nobody got goosebumps. So, <laughs> so basically, it took us about another, I don't know, 12 months before we found a publisher that said, we'll publish it. And then it went on to sell 10 million copies. And now we sold over... 600 million copies of chicken soup books. You know, there's over 200 titles in the series. So listening and asking for inner guidance, I would say. And then the other thing I would say, I always like to say at the end of these things is, if you have a dream, you have the capacity to fulfill it. You are never given a dream without the capacity Mm. to fulfill it. Now, you may have to partner up with people who are good at things you're not, build a team, whatever, get maybe a license you don't have, go back to school, learn something you need to know. But it doesn't happen to get that dream if you don't have the capacity. So whatever you've been dreaming about, do it. Do it. Oh, an incredible close. Now, I feel like I'm kind of um, digressing just a little bit because I did have one more question that I wanted to ask you. And, and I was okay. this one was very personal to me, actually, because I feel like it's been a part of my journey. And I've been wanting to ask you ever since I met with you. So do you feel that self-esteem is directly connected to people finding their purpose in life. Because in my journey, a lot of what happened was because I wasn't feeling really good about myself. I wasn't believing that I was lovable or that I was capable or deserving to think about, you know, a purpose that was bigger than me and connected to some sort of magnificence that I had in the world. I, I just couldn't connect to it. So do you think that there is a connection between your self-esteem and feeling you have a purpose? I think, I think, yeah, I do. I think if you know that you have a purpose and you're clear about it, that would probably give you a sense of feeling better about yourself because it's a good, it's a quality. It's a positive thing in the, you know, the assets and debits, you know, columns of your life. Um, I, I often get asked, do you have to know your purpose to be successful? And the answer is no. Um, a lot of people just naturally do it. You know, they're just naturally attracted to being a musician, an athlete, a mechanic, uh, you know, whatever, baker or whatever. And, but I think that, you know, my experience is everybody has one and there are techniques, some of which we use in our programs, which you may have experienced that help people get in touch with what they are. Um, and, um, so I think it's valuable to know that. And then there's a great quote from Stephen Covey who wrote the have, seven habits of highly effective people. He said, you don't want to get to the top of the ladder and realize your ladder was leaning against the wrong wall. And a lot of people are pursuing these goals, like to be a millionaire, to have a house in the Hamptons, to you know be the editor of the magazine, whatever. And they get there, but they're not happy because they were pursuing some external belief about what success was and they weren't doing what really fulfilled them. Mm-hmm. So what one of the things that I believe and I teach is that if you're on purpose, you're feeling joy. Like it's clear you're a joyful Mm -hmm. person right now. You're expressing a lot of joy as you speak. And I I experience a lot of joy in my life. I'm happy. But if I'm doing things, it doesn't mean you're experiencing it Mm -hmm. 24-7. I have a grandson who's a year. I don't get ecstatic about changing his diaper. But I am ecstatic about being his grandfather, you know. Mm -hmm. So there are moments where you end up doing things that maybe you don't love. But the point is, if you're not happy in general in the work you do, and research shows that 50% of Americans, and I'm sure it's true in Canada as well, don't love their jobs. And yet they go there every day and spend one half Mm -hmm. of their waking time doing something they don't like. And then we wonder why people quit and that they're not 
in the in the good customer service and you know all the stuff that happens because they're not passionate. We all have the ability to be passionate about something. Hmm. And now that you've said that, like, do you think that there's a, a connection? I've been doing some polls on LinkedIn actually and asking the business community if they feel that personal growth is as important as professional growth when it comes to affecting your bottom line. Because if the person is happier, then they show up in their workplace, they're more content, more adaptable, you know, it creates a culture, it's just a different environment, they're more positive and uplifted. How would you feel about that? Do you feel that personal development is, is an important component for businesses as well? Yeah, I always say you work on yourself as hard as you work on your business, because if you don't, you're going to basically pay the price. People that trust themselves, follow their instincts, trust their intuition, uh, communicate well, uh, are not mean because they, if we're mean to somebody, it's because we're projecting something we don't like about ourselves mm-hmm. out onto them. So the reality is the more I learn to love all of me, including the what we often call our shadow self, you know, uh, what happens is that I'm more compassionate in general. People like to be around people that are loving, mm-hmm. kind, clear, focused, uh, you know, reinforcing, affirming, confirming, all that good stuff. And if you are that, you're going to attract employees who want to work for you. You're going to attract customers who want to spend time with you. And who would you rather do business with? Someone you enjoy or someone you hate, you know, I'm going to call that guy and you start to resist it even when you think about it, you know you don't want to be that person or that store. So basically I think, you know, personal development, you know, I require people in my company to go to workshops. We don't, it's not like a perk. It's Mm -hmm. a requirement. If they don't grow, we don't grow. Mm. Yeah, brilliantly said, and I couldn't agree more. Earlier you said when we were talking about that question about what kind of world you want it to be, it, it got me reflecting about the lead conference and the fact that I really believe that leadership is within all of us because we're all influencing, you know, you know, I, I will actually often say, if you don't think you're leading, think about your home. And if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy (laughs) because, you know, you gotta be, you gotta be able to, you're leading in your homes, you're leading in your communities, you're leading in your workplace just by showing up and being who you are and, and specifically on social media as well. So leadership has really become something it's evolved from what it used to be to what it is now. Would you agree with that? Yes, I would. In fact, we have a story in some chicken soup or probably chicken soup for the soul of work, something like that where there was a secretary uh, to, the, to the president of the company. And she was always like feeling like she was un- misunderstood and she wasn't appreciated enough and she was grumpy and so forth. And a friend of mine actually ran a seminar at her company and then she kind of changed her attitude and said, okay, I'm going to act as if I'm the president of the company. So I'm going to start giving positive feedback. I'm going to start coming up with ideas. I'm going to start saying the things I see and feel. And um, within... I think it was within a year she had three uh, raises of her income. Uh, She ended up on some major committee in the company. I mean, she just started like being fully herself, not holding back thinking she was a lowly Mm -hmm. secretary, you know? So it's leadership is not a title. It's if we all lead by, but by our example, for example, Mm -hmm. you know, that old phrase, you know, who you are, speak so loudly. I can't hear a word you say Mm -hmm. You're sitting there smoking, telling your children not to smoke. I mean, you're not a leader in that situation. So uh, we all have the potential to make a difference by our example. 
I remember one of the stories we published in a chicken soup book was about a guy named Albert Schweitzer, who was a missionary to Africa, a very famous missionary. And uh, one day he was called to Chicago to receive an award. He gets off the train and there's a black woman struggling with her, her luggage. And here's this guy, they're going to meet him like a Nobel prize winner. And he goes over and starts helping this black woman with her luggage, ignoring the, 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 the committee that's receiving him. And one of the guys said, I just think I saw a sermon walking. <laughs> that he his leadership was his demonstration of who he was you know mm. um, yeah we all can be leaders yeah thank you oh so great thank you for that um that actually is my my closing question number one is what does leadership mean to you so I think maybe you've a, you've answered that but perhaps you want to add to it what does leadership mean to you well I think leadership means you're taking a role perhaps consciously that you are moving yourself and other people in a direction toward a desirable goal. So uh, there's a lot of different ways to lead. I mean, there's as many books on leadership as there are, you know, mm -hmm. university professors teaching it. But for me, you have to have a clear vision. I think you have to walk your talk. You know, um, if you, there was a research recently done that the people that were most late to meetings were the people that were the leaders of the meetings, the CEO, the president of the company. What are you doing? You're telling people, you know, mm. it's okay to be late and you're modeling bad behavior. So again, you know, walk your talk. Uh, I think it's about acknowledging people when they're moving in the right direction, you know, appreciating people, being willing mm. to be confronted when you need to be. Cause I think that's a big issue for people is like, got to confront things that don't work in a loving way. Um, and be responsible. A lot of people or leaders want to blame why it didn't happen on their staff, on the environment, on the mm -hmm. government, you know, whatever. So it's, I think it's being 100% responsible. Uh, one of the great superintendents of schools I worked for when I taught in Chicago, he says, when it works, I give all the credit to my staff. When it doesn't work, I take all the blame. So mm -hmm. it's like, that's a pretty good pretty good style there of like, okay, I'm not going to be the blamer complainer. And we see a lot of that in politics, you know, why mm -hmm. it's the other sides, why it's not working, you know? Right. Right. And take the credit when it is interesting. Yeah. Yes. So I see behind you, you have many, many books. Uh, you are, I think, probably the most successful author in the world. I don't know if that's a stat or not, but in my mind, you are. And yet this question is going to be difficult probably for you to answer because I always ask the guests to give one book or one recommendation, you know, in a book that was a game changer for you that you really feel that everybody should read. You're right. Um, that's like saying, if you'd only keep one organ in your body, where you want to be, um, I, you know, I, I think if I go way back when it was Napoleon Hill's book called think and grow rich, um, that was really just changed my whole belief about stuff. And, um, there was another book. I can't remember who it was. Oh, it was it's called Seth speaks Seth. S-E-T-H speaks. It was by a woman. She was kind of a psychic and she was a channel. And this guy named Seth would talk through her. But what his main message was is everything in your world is a outsourcing of your belief system. Just like the screen you're looking at in your computer, everything you're seeing in there is a reflection of what's on the hard drive that you can't see. So in mm. other words, what's in the hard drive ends up on your screen. And so and then, then this was the part that really threw me for weeks. She said, everything you see is a result of your beliefs. 
And then for weeks I was going, what if I have the wrong belief? What if I have the wrong belief? You know, and then, and then with that, there's no wrong belief. There's just whatever belief you want to have. So why not start believing you can have everything, do everything, be everything, make the world work. So that's those two books I would say would like were pretty game changing. And there's been, I've read over 3000 books. So basically I was a, there was a period where I read a book a day for years, for probably 10 years. Yeah. Amazing. And why did you do that? To know more. I always wanted to know what the truth was. I think there was a, because it's, it's interesting, I did a session with the guy. He actually worked at the White House for a while. He's a doctor, but he's also very tapped in, esoterically genius shaman kind of guy, but he's an MD. And um, he does past life regressions. And so he did this past life regression with me where he said, okay, I'm going to clap my hand and you're going to go eyes closed, lying down, clap my hand and you're going to show up in a past life. Okay, why not? So boom, all of a sudden I'm a doctor. It's like 1900s. I'm wearing like an old tweed coat. I've got a woman in front of me about your age who's sick and um, I can't figure out what's wrong with her. And I'm distraught that I can't figure out how to save her life. And I made a decision. This will never happen again. And so I studied everything, you know, herbs and, mm. and, and, and um, you know, crystals and meditation and different healing modalities like Ayurvedic and stuff. And I, got, I became a good doctor. But what he helped me realize when we were doing the past life regression, he said, you're still doing it. And he said, the problem is you don't realize that you don't need everything in all those books. You have an intuition. If you trust mm. it, you always know what to say and do that will be helpful. So I still read books, but not at the rate I was before, because now I trust me. Mm. And I'll know what to say if you ask me a question. I don't need to prepare as much. So my, my sense of um, of completeness and competence and self-confidence is different. So I think it came from a neurotic need to know. Uh, but now I know so much, it's kind of like I, I still learn new things. But I, I like to know. I like to, I like to learn. That, that was actually one of the things that fascinated about you, or about you to me the most. Uh, you won't remember this, but I do. <laughs> we were at the at the first day. It was the first break after the seminar started, like after the mastermind started. And you came over and we're talking with myself and one of the other women that were there and asking questions. And I was like, this is crazy. This man knows everything. <laughs> at least that's how I felt. I was like, he knows everything. And he's coming over asking us questions. You were still so curious and had so many things you were interested in knowing. And right. that actually made it a really significant impression upon me about you and about how I want to always be learning and always growing, no matter how much I know I want to continually do that right until uh, the end of my life. Yeah. yeah it's, it's fun. I, you know, literally I, 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 I've studied in this lifetime. I know a lot about health and fitness. I know a lot about psychology. I know a lot about science and neuroscience and cooking and, you know, and parenting and got great relationships. And it allows me to be helpful to a lot of people, which I, I get off on. I enjoy. Mm -hmm. yeah. Incredible stuff. So the very final closing question, but a personal thank you from me to you. I know people are going to love this episode so much. We've covered so much and you've given us like tons of value in here. I can't wait to host you um, at the conference. So thank you again for making the trip and joining us. We're so happy to have you. Um, the final closing question is if you had one piece of advice that you really felt everybody needed to know in the entire world, and it was the only piece of advice you could leave them with, what would it be? 
trust yourself. Mm. Trust yourself and be yourself. Uh, and I'll share a story that goes with that very short sentence. I was down in, one of the things I've been doing the last three years is engaging in what are called plant medicine ceremonies. So it's usually done in the jungle with shamans. And they, most people would call them psychedelics, but they're not really. It's not like LSD, which is being made. But these are plant medicines. You ingest them. You go on these journeys in your mind. And ayahuasca, which is the one we did, uh, we call it Mother Ayahuasca when you're there. And I, you, you ask questions. And then you have an intention for the journey, usually three to six hours long. So my question was, who would you have me become? Like, you know, who should I be? And and the, the, the medicine answers back. It says, wrong question. And I said, okay, what, what's the right question? I said, well, let me just give you the right answer. Stop being who you're not. And I went like, mm. wow. I mean, I was like floored for 30 minutes. I just reflected on that. You know, every time I thought I had to be nicer than I felt or spend more time with someone that I wanted to or... Um, you know, not eat chocolate cake because I was supposed to look like I had my diet under control when I really didn't want to eat it. You know, all the things that we do to put on a an act, if you will, where we're not mm -hmm. being ourselves, you know, like I would go out with some some guy who I knew was into holistic stuff and I really wanted a glass of wine, but I know he taught you shouldn't drink alcohol, so I wouldn't order the wine, you know, and that was like being an act, you know. Right. So basically, I think the biggest thing most of us do is we 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 control ourselves to be acceptable to our parents so we can survive. And then we spend our adult life, if we're intelligent, we go into personal development to unload all that stuff and get back to who we really are, which is mm. a smart, intelligent, compassionate, creative, generative person. And um, that's that's it's kind of a funny thing we do to ourselves, but that seems to be the human condition. Mm. So true. So true. I can certainly play that out in, in my mind for a long time. So one final question around that then, just because it's sitting with me. So chances sure. are it's going to be sitting with the audience. So act as if one of the success principles that you teach is to make sure that we show up and act as if to get ourselves in that role in that position, not overspending and, and doing things that are we're not prepared, you know, to suffer the consequences of, but like acting as if seeing ourselves there. And yet there's the other component of we're acting, trying to be what society wants us to be. So can you just kind of well, help me with that answer? It's the last phrase, as society wants us to be. If we drop that off and we act mm. as if we want to be, in other words, I want to be wealthy. I want to be generous. I want to be kind. I want to be athletic and fit and all that kind of stuff. Right. I want to wear nice clothes, so forth and so on. So you know, I can start acting. I remember when I didn't have a lot of money and I noticed that my shirts didn't look like some of the shirts of the people that I knew that had a lot of money. I bought one of those shirts. It was $125 when I used to buy $38 shirts from Nordstrom's, you know? And so I, it, it's just like, I'm acting as if that's something I wanted. It wasn't what they wanted me to be. It was what I wanted. Mm -hmm. So if there's something you want, Start acting that way. You know, like, let's say you want to be, if you were wealthy, you'd be more generous. So instead of giving a dollar tip, give a dollar 25 cents. It's just that little bit that says, I have more than I need. Because I'm mm. acting generous. I'm acting wealthy. But the, so we're not asking you to be phony. We're not asking you to be what you think people want. Mm -hmm. Asking you to be what you want. As, as a, most of us are afraid to act the way we really want. Afraid of rejection. Afraid of people mm -hmm. thinking we're arrogant. Afraid of them thinking we're, 
you know, uh, we don't care about them, you know, wherever it might be. Um, like my mother was an alcoholic and I refused to speak to her on the phone when she was drinking. And then like that someone would say, well, that's not very nice. Well, yeah, it was because my mother started calling me when she was sober and eventually she realized she wanted to be more sober. And so like, you know, I was following what I wanted, but it actually helped her. Does that mm -hmm. make any sense? It does actually. I, I That completes it for me. And I'm sure it does for other people too, the explanation. It was That's just a good perfect. Question. It's a good yes. question. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, thank you again, Jack. Thank you so much. We're so honored you're here today. Thank you for joining us. Um, I'll cut the podcast recording with just a simple thank you. We'll see you in only a few months. We're so excited. Thank you. My pleasure. If you enjoyed this episode and it brought you value, make sure and share it with a friend or screenshot it and post it to your Instagram story or Facebook, tagging me at Corliss Co. I know the most precious of all commodities is your time, and I want to thank you all very much for spending this time with me today. Remember, you have the power to lead. Know your worth, embrace your value, see you have purpose, and be the leader you are meant to be.